Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. This week's Crypto Watch is with Ken Anderson, who's the Chief Development Advocate for something called Hedera Hashgraph, which was a sort of an alternative to blockchain that was invented by a guy called Lehman Baird in the US. Now, um, I feel like we're, uh, we're kind of learning as we go along here, and the Hedera Hashgraph is a sort of a development of distributed ledger, which is kind of difficult to get your head around. But what they're doing is that they're saying that the blockchain that currently exists has a, uh, a series of problems, the main one being performance or speed. And uh, they've, they reckon they've come up with something that's much faster and can do hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. Now, the interview ebbs and flows a bit. It gets, uh, it gets into the weeds, and then we get out of the weeds and start to look at the, um, at the sky around us, and uh, we get back into the weeds. But look, it's worth persevering with. Um, it's a fascinating topic and uh, part of the world of blockchain and distributed ledger that's going on at the moment. So here's Ken Anderson, the Chief Development Advocate for Hedera Hashgraph. Oh, well, Ken, um, I suppose the, the first question is, what, what problem um, is Hedera Hashgraph trying to solve? Well, it's a public ledger, so we can think about all of the same problems that have been addressed with the blockchain. Um, so everything that we see being solved with blockchain can also be solved with Hedera Hashgraph. Um, but there are some other use cases that we're seeing as being um presented that we can solve that maybe blockchains as they stand right now aren't the best fits for. So in addition to what's happening with blockchain, we've got a, a lot of enterprise use cases that we're looking at. Um, there's some cool things coming about with our file service, which include things like provenance and chain of custody problems that can be solved with the technology. So, and I can get into as much detail or as little as you want with those. So. No, but, it, but it's fair to say, isn't it, that fundamentally um, what Lehman Baird tried to do was to come up with something, an algorithm, uh, that would, um, would, would solve some of the problems that he saw were existing with blockchain. So it's a, it's a sort of an alternative to blockchain, right? It is an alternative to blockchain, and I'd actually take it a step back because I think what Lehman Baird was looking for was a way for people to have these shared worlds, which is where, if you know the history of Hashgraph and Hedera, it comes from this company called Swirlds, which stood for shared worlds. But this idea of us having these shared worlds of data and having them be uh, you know, between small groups of people and large groups of people, but he's looking for the most efficient way to do that. And blockchain was one of the things that he approached and looked at and said, okay, is this something that I can iterate on and maybe make a better solution? But then he stepped back to the drawing board and thought about it from really a mathematician and a scientific perspective. Um, and that's actually how Hashgraph was born. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm groping around for um, analogies, really, to help understand uh, what, uh, what you guys are doing. Um, and I, uh, the fact that the Hedera Hashgraph appears to be you know, a, a sort of, um, how can I put it, an owned thing. And it's got a council and I think, in fact, Lehman Baird still still owns it. Um, is the difference between Hedera Hashgraph and blockchain similar to the difference between Microsoft and Linux? 
in the sense that Linux is open source, blockchain is like not governed by anybody in particular. It's 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 broadly spread and so on, whereas Hedera Hashgraph is is tightly governed. Yeah, um, I don't know that that's probably the most um, the most direct analysis. Uh, the most direct uh, simile I draw there, um, well, probably something me, closer to like one, how Red instead. Hat in Linux works. Red Hat, what's Red Hat? So Red Hat is a, is an enterprise version of Linux. It's uh, it funds a lot of the CentOS and Red Hat development. Oh, so see. it is an enterprise solution, but it is built upon a lot of the same concepts and usable in a lot of the same use cases as the open source versions of Linux would be. Right. So, so very similar in solving the same problems. Just there's a uh, there's a a few different things that we have to do um, in order to ensure stability of the network, and one of those is governance. Um, and there's not really a good way to do governance without having some type of of council, um, without having a cryptocurrency, um, and in the case of the technology to pre- prevent uh, technical forking, you have to have a patent to protect that. So. Um the Hedera Hashgraph uh, white paper talks about um, five fundamental obstacles to tr- distributed ledger technologies uh, uh, having to overcome before it can be widely accepted, right? So, um, and I'm, I take it that you guys are saying that the, uh, the, the current blockchain doesn't solve those five obstacles. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, there's a, there's a number of technical things that, we're doing that most blockchains can't or don't do and it, that currently aren't implemented. Um, security is one of them. And I, this is one of the features I like to really talk about when it comes to Hashgraph. Um, when we talk about security, we're talking about asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. And that's kind of a big word that uh, a lot of people, I don't think understand the gravity of, of what that means. Um, and so I always like to kind of focus on that a little bit, especially when we're talking about um, uh, security. So asynchronous, meaning that there is no single leader that makes a decision. Two-thirds of the network, the nodes in the network, independently come to the exact same conclusion. And I think it's important to highlight that because what that means is that we have Byzantine fault tolerance that is validated against two-thirds of the network and not by a single leader that gets elected into a position. So that's when we talk about the security component. Another one is the performance. So because we are a a directed acyclic graph and because of the virtual voting mechanisms built into the Hashgraph algorithm, we're not slowing down to wait for transaction pools to build and pages in the ledger to get built or blocks in the blockchain. Just, just, um, Ken, just before we get on to performance, can I just uh, just spend a bit bit more time on security? Because I thought that blockchain blockchain uses Byzantine fault tolerance as well, doesn't it? Yes, and Byzantine fault tolerance is a term that's commonly used, um, and really what it means is that we have to protect against the bad actors when we're coming to some consensus on the state of the network or the state of the ledger. Um, In proof-of-work blockchain, the way that that's accomplished is you have a bunch of nodes or every node in the network, the miners, are competing to solve a math problem to be the leader that gets chosen to apply the next block. Um, but even that doesn't guarantee that your block is uh, ultimately the winner because it could be that you end up getting pruned in the future because somebody else was faster on confirming your blocks and building on top of somebody else's blocks. So what we're doing is we're racing to become be randomly chosen. If you, I put that in air quotes, randomly chosen 
as the next leader to define what the next block in the network is. So it is an approach to Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, and so that would be not asynchronous because it has to happen in a very specific order, one right after the other. And there's only one leader that decides it and the network validates that by building confirmations on top of that. So that would be Byzantine fault tolerance. And there are other ways to go about that. With Hashgraph, there is no leader. There's no one node that is defining what transactions go into the next block or get recorded to the ledger. Two thirds of the network are defining that independently from each other and all come to the exact same conclusion. And that's where the asynchronous part comes in, is we're solving the same Byzantine fault tolerance problem, but instead of having leaders that do that, then we have two thirds of the network doing it. And so if we look at blockchain, for example, and I'm not just picking on blockchain, blockchain um, is an amazing innovation. And uh, it was what initially drew, drew, uh, brought me into this, into this space. Um, but there are things uh, like, um, the selfish mining attack, where there are ways to prove that with 25% control of the network, you could uh, manipulate consensus of the blockchain. So it's 25% of the network could be compromised. And we see that there are there is some consolidation in network power, uh, compute power in the world. And if people wanted to collude, there's a possibility or a likelihood that that 25% could be consolidated but has to that apply actually, that type of attack. Has that actually happened? Um, not that I know of yet. Not, not that I know of yet. Um, but again, from the mathematical perspective, um, and this is from what you're talking about, there's also something called practical Byzantine fault tolerance or PBFT, which basically says it's, it's good enough for what we need to do in a practical sense. What we're doing is basically saying that every node plays a part in the consensus process. There's no leader chosen. And if you took down even one third of the network, you'd still come to consensus. I should say just shy of one third of the network. If you took a, just shy of one third of the network, we would still come to consensus. So how many nodes are we talking about? In the long run, it's as many as we need. Um, once we have sh uh, sharding sorted, which means uh, breaking up the global network into kind of these sub-networks, once we've got that sorted, we can scale out, um, I don't want to say infinitely, but pretty close to infinitely. We can scale out to millions of nodes potentially. Right. And and, and the algorithm that uh, that uh, Lehman Baird has invented basically sorts or organizes the network, however big it is, into providing um, a consensus that uh, requires two-thirds in order to achieve um, security. That's correct, yes. So two-thirds consensus is what's required for the algorithm, algorithm to work. And this is just mathematically shown to be the uh, most efficient and most secure way to reach consensus. Um, and ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reach consensus. Um, part of that is, is it deterministic or probabilistic? By probabilistic, I mean... How likely is it that that consensus is going to remain the state of the ledger? And if we look at blockchain, um, almost all the blockchain solutions are probabilistic, meaning that it never reaches 100% consensus. It only approaches 100% consensus, meaning that there's always a chance that your, your, uh, uh, your chain could get forked or pruned off, I should say, and another fork would win. With Hashgraph, it, that two-thirds consensus allows us to get 100% uh, consensus because of the asynchronous nature of it. 
And that's a world of difference. If you think about it, just looking at Ethereum, for example, um, you're going to get six confirmations probably in about five minutes. And for most of the world, that's acceptable. Now, that's not 100% consensus. That's 99 point something something percent uh, consensus. But what we're saying is within seconds, we're getting 100% consensus. So we're no longer waiting for minutes to build the probability up to the point where we feel confident moving forward with the transaction. And we're getting 100% network validated consensus within seconds. So, um, and that's why you can get um, hundreds of thousands of uh, transactions per second, I guess. Is that right? Possibly yeah, so, maybe millions. Yeah, so that, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's part of it. That's the the consensus component of it is valuable in the sense that we now have a level of confidence in the results of those transactions or in the state of the ledger that just currently does not exist. Um, and I can say that with, with fairly strong confidence. There, there's not really, there, there are some people who might change the definition of what 100% consensus means and then fit that model. But what we're saying is a global ordered consensus of the state of the ledger. And we're doing that within seconds. Now, why the reason why I say seconds is because that depends on how many nodes you have in the network and how much they're distributed across the world because the laws of physics mean that when you gossip or you share information from one node to another across the world, that's going to take time for that data to propagate. And so this is why we talk about, um, for Hedera's first iteration, we've got the council that is going to represent those nodes. But once we get sharding done, each shard is going to become its own consensus uh, network, if you will. And then the shards can validate the consensus across against each other. But what that means is now you've got all of these shards running in parallel, getting that 100% ordered consensus within each shard, and then they can globally validate against each other, which again allows it to scale out to millions of transactions and, and many, many more potentially, depending on how many nodes and shards there are out there. But initially with a single shard, which is what we're, we're kind of setting the stage for right now in the first stages of the Hedera network. We're talking about 39 council members and get reaching hundreds of thousands of transactions a second. I have read that you've still got some latency of about three seconds. Is that right? Um, it depends on the, on the distribution and number of nodes. Uh, there's three different models that are presented in the white paper that you're probably familiar with. One of them is very geographically close. Um, and then we've got much lower latency there. And then the ones that are more geographically distributed and with 39 nodes and hundreds of thousands of transactions, uh, it's probably closer to about five to seven seconds of latency for the public network. Um, Ken, sometimes I'm, uh, you know, when I listen to you and, uh, you know, I'm kind of investigating this whole area of blockchain and so on. I, I think, well, there's this whole kind of culture, this whole thing is going on. Um, it's like a separate... Uh, it's like a separate planet within the planet Earth, where this stuff is uh, yeah. taking place, um, and it's it's like uh, completely mysterious to most people on the planet. I mean, do you sometimes, as you kind of look at this, think you're doing something that nobody really, most people on the Earth, actually don't know what what you're doing and and where you're heading to? I, I, absolutely. I mean, just the space alone. When we talk about distributed ledgers. There's just a very small handful of people that are, are aware enough or informed enough to, to really evaluate what a distributed ledger is in the first place. And then you take look into that space and how many people understand the differences between the ledgers and the different uh, features and performance benefits and, 
and all of that type of stuff. And then you get even smaller into, okay, how many people know about Hashgraph? So it is, it is definitely alien. And I'll tell you, I, I work with a lot of the enterprise space and everybody likes the term blockchain, but it's sometimes hard to find people who actually understand what a distributed ledger is and how it works and what a blockchain is and how that works and what are, what is Hashgraph and how does that work? Um, it, it's very rare to find those types of people. And sometimes it takes a little bit of a paradigm shift to really understand what's going on because we're not talking about centralized data sources anymore. We're now talking about a, a shared world of data, like a truly distributed set of servers. So, but, but how is it going to actually unfold? I mean, uh, presumably the way everyone's working on it and, and there are kind of central banks uh, now adopting or at least investigating the technology and in Australia the, the stock exchange is, has actually decided to adopt blockchain for its settlement procedures. So clearly it's, it's taking place and, I, and someone's told me that all data in the world at some point will be on blockchain. But w- uh, will this just happen gradually or will there be some point where there's a tipping point, do you think, where suddenly everyone has to wake up one day and get their head around what distributed ledger actually is? Well, so the, the average person, I, I, I'm hoping, will never have to go through that difficult transition that we've had to go through. Um, it, it has definitely been an experience and a lear- and many years of learning for me. Um, I, I think, first of all, we need to have a network that meets the practical performance requirements of the average user. And that's where I think Hedera comes in. Because if you have a network that gives you half a second of latency of transaction finality, but doesn't give you global consensus, that's probably not going to be good enough for a lot of very important use cases. Um, Financial, uh, maybe medical, uh, anything that requires a global ordered consensus, that's not going to be a good fit for but it might give you some cool use cases, maybe in the gaming space or something like that. Um, but Hedera really becomes kind of that de facto performance to meet the requirements of what we already are familiar with, with the likes of Visa and MasterCard and uh, Discover Card. That type of performance is what we're aiming for so that we can become kind of the de facto network for the world to experience. Now, when that happens... I think there is going to be a transition. Now, there's going to have to be a lot of uh, enterprise adoption, which requires uh, uh, reliability and stability, which is why the governance is so important in what we're talking about. Um, There's got to be that performance there, which you see in the white paper. We've got to have those tens of thousands, if not in our case, hundreds of thousands of transactions uh, per second of throughput for it to be practical for the average user. We have to have the security and the reliability of, of the asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, which means we don't have any leaders that are making decisions and we're not slowing down the network or going through uh, elections or anything like that to determine who's going to be the next leader to make a decision. So there's lots of stuff like that that I think has to be clarified before we get general mass adoption. And that's why when you looked at the white paper and you said the, the five points, which are performance, security, security governance, stability, and regulatory compliance, those are the five things we see as being key before we get mass adoption. And those are the five things that we've built Hedera around. Now, we could have gone a different route. We could have gone with you know, the, the culture, which you probably have felt a bit, is that as soon as we start talking about a patent, everybody's uh, red flags go up, right? As soon as we start talking about a council, people's flags go up. 
All of these things that we've put into place have been put into place to address those five key points that will allow for mass adoption. When that has happened, I think what we'll see is a lot more developers adopting the technology, a lot more enterprises adopting the technology, and it's those enterprises and developers that are going to make it seamless for the end user to adopt the technology. So I don't expect end users to have to wrap their head around what a distributed ledger is. I expect them to be using their payment app, and one day, suddenly, it's now backed by Hedera Hashgraph, and their mobile app didn't change. And now they're sending payments to friends, and it's being validated. The only difference is, is now they can also have a state proof for that transaction, uh, which is a feature of Hashgraph the way that it's built. And they can take that state proof in their wallet and show that to a court and prove that that transaction, transaction did, in fact, happen. Now so, they've got these additional features they didn't have before. But Ken, I mean, everyone is often running with blockchain. It's not as if, I mean, it's not as if there's yeah. some kind of everyone's kind of stopping and saying, "Hang on, wait a minute, blockchain doesn't work." Everyone's often running with it. It's a bit like Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies. I mean, uh, all these other uh, cryptocurrencies were invented: Ethereum, EOS, and Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash, and so on. So, uh, saying that Bitcoin's a problem, but everyone's just fine with Bitcoin. It seems like it's it's the thing that's going to succeed. Really, it's hard to imagine all these other ones actually getting anywhere. And I, I mean, I must say, um, no one's kind of saying we we need something like Hedera. It seems to me that basically blockchain is fine, or at least everyone thinks it is. Well, so so the, I, I would say there is a a vocal group that does believe that that's the case. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, I don't think Bitcoin's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, it, there's a lot of money invested. There's a lot of momentum already there. Um, I will also tell you that I work in a lot of enterprise working groups. And when we go in to solve a particular use case and we're saying, okay, we have this project or this proof of concept, a lot of these groups are using uh, open source Ethereum or Hyperledger to build out these proofs of concepts. And they're going, see, look how great this works. Now, if only it was a thousand times faster, we could actually use it. So that's the discussion I'm having in the enterprise space is, yes, everybody's moving forward with it. Everybody wants to solve the problem. They see the benefits of the technology, um, but there is this limiting factor. There's a reason why we don't have the mass adoption yet is because it just doesn't meet the performance or security or governance or stability requirements of the mass, uh, the, the masses. Now, that's not going to say that there. I'm not saying that there's not going to be a huge place for Bitcoin in the future. And there's a lot of optimizations coming to Bitcoin. And there's going to be a lot of people who are married to that and are going to run with that. But I think when we look at some of the underlying technology, um, to me, cryptocurrency is exciting. But it's quite frankly, the least exciting part of distributed ledger technology to me. There are so many other domains that are very exciting and much more complicated and fun to solve. And that's just from my perspective, because I'm an engineer. What do you think the the most exciting thing is? Well, I'll tell you with Hedera, I'll tell you what one of the most exciting things to me is, and it's something that I just have to continue to wrap my head around, is with the file system that we're building into Hedera, and we're actually working with the marketing team to figure out how to communicate this appropriately, because it doesn't exist anywhere. It's this idea of provenance, the idea of proving the existence of data and proving ownership of that data with a state proof that is 100% has reached 100% consensus across a distributed network of billion dollar companies. So this is with blockchain, you can prove that yes, my transaction was submitted into this ledger, and I have to download 160 gigs of ledger to be absolutely sure that that's not going to change anytime soon, plus a number of blocks afterward. 
with what we have, you take the file, the transaction that you submitted, and the state proof of that, which is this tiny little file that attaches to it, or a tiny little set of data that attaches to it, and you can take that into court and say, see, this transaction did happen, or see, this file ex existed at some point in this ledger. Um, one of the use cases we're seeing right now is, uh, you know, we've got people who are trying to solve the chain of custody problem. How do I prove that this person had it and that the, the new person that has it, nothing happened in between, nothing changed in between? I thought the, um, um, I thought the key to that was the, the hashtag with blockchain, that, that's, that that was all you needed. But we still don't have 100% consensus and you still have to download 160 gigs of blockchain. And what I'm saying is the average user isn't going to, the end user isn't going to take 160 gigs of blockchain to prove that their file is accurate. With what we're doing, every round of voting that happens in the network gets signed by two-thirds of the network. And that signature builds a state-proof tree and you can take that state proof just for your transaction or for your file and take that to a court of law and say, see, two-thirds of the network, 100% agreed that this was the state of my file at that time. So that's, it's, it's a, and maybe I'm not communicating it well enough right now, because this is what we're sitting with the marketing team right now, trying to communicate it, but it's, it really is something that's novel. Um, and it's something that we're seeing a lot of use cases, uh, we, we I'm on the phone all day long with people trying to solve these problems with distributed apps. And they come to me, and I've even had a, a couple of companies in the security space who say, we're trying to solve this security thing. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's what you know key pairs is for. That's why you have public and private keys. You don't really need a distributed ledger to do that piece that you're trying to do. But then we talk about provenance, and they're like, holy cow. So what you're saying is I can take a checksum of the file before the transaction hand the file off to anybody in the world, and then the person who receives it can compare their checksum of what they received against the checksum that I sent, and mine is signed and stored in the distributed ledger. And it's just, that's a, a fundamental function of the network. That's a fundamental function of the Hedera ledger. That's not an, a bolt-on. It's not a specialty feature we built specifically for the world to use. That is fundamentally part of what Hashgraph is. And now it becomes this, this very usable legal uh, piece of data. So I'll tell you that what, is, why, uh, don't you, uh, uh, <laughs> why don't you explain um, uh, why this system that you've got here is, is better than what we've got at the moment and why we need it. Just, we're obviously coming to the end of our interview here, but, but what, um, just explain to us what, what it is about your thing. I mean, because I suppose most ordinary people are thinking, well, you know, everything seems to work okay at the moment, so what do we need all this other stuff, this, this Byzantine fault tolerance and stuff? Why do we need that? Tell us. You tell us. Yes. Well, so the first thing is speed. That's the first and foremost. I mean, we're really maximizing the throughput. And, it, and our bottleneck is the internet and the speed of gossip. What do you mean We're by gossip? Explain, because gossip, you use gossip sure. a fair bit in Hedera. What, uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so gossip is when two nodes exchange the data that they have. So node A calls node B and says, I've got this data. And node B says, well, I don't have parts of what you have, but I have this stuff and parts of this you don't have. Let's exchange the things we don't have. And then let's call somebody else in the network. So that's what I mean by gossip. The idea is with gossip is that it's it's very quick to propagate data using a gossip protocol. One node has some data, calls up the next node and shares that data with that node. And then both of them call up the next nodes and share data with them. And then they kind of spread out exponentially. 
So that's what gossip is. Gossip is a fundamental protocol. It's very common uh, in uh, networking and computer science. Um, gossip itself is not something new. But what we've done is we've attached a little bit of historical data, um, the parent hashes of the previous gossips that allow us to build this graph that we call hash graph. Um, and these hashes allow us to run a specific algorithm, the hash graph algorithm, against it. After a period of time, in a very quick period of time, we can determine that sufficient number of nodes in the network are aware of that piece of data, and we can consider that it has been propagated and has reached 100% consensus. So that's ultimately what it's coming to, is it's all about sharing the data, and then each node is independently running this algorithm against the history that they have or this graph that they have and calculating consensus across the entire network. It's as fast as you can get for right now. I mean, even looking at the math, it's very hard to imagine anything that could be faster because all we're doing is gossiping the smallest packet you can gossip plus a few tiny, two extra pieces of data. I suppose and it, that's it. It feels a bit like Visa's already pretty fast. I mean, that they are doing what it is. millions of transactions per second. So whatever they're doing now seems to work. Well, it, it depends on who you talk to at Visa. If, if you go to their website, it says 1,700 uh, transactions a second with bursts up to 25,000. Um, I've talked to a Visa exec recently who said they're doing about 25,000 transactions a second with bursts up to 50,000. But either way, Visa is doing somewhere between 1,700 and 50,000 transactions a second. That's about what they're doing if we talk about what their burst capability is. Um, what we're talking about is hundreds of thousands of transactions a second. And we're talking about decentralized consensus as opposed to relying on Visa or relying on MasterCard to have decentralized and managed servers. What we're basically saying is that no one entity controls the consensus process. And I think that's really the difference between, but let me make something really clear. If all you're looking for is performance and you trust the people building the technology, I don't, <laughs> there's not a distributed consensus algorithm out there that is going to beat a centralized server. And, and I, I have to make that clear because I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, I want to, I want to share this data with this one other client of mine. And I say, do you trust them? Yes. Why not give them read access to your Cassandra cluster? And they go, oh, yeah, that would be much faster. Well, because we don't have to gossip the data around the entire world. We don't have to share that data. We don't have to spread it around the entire world. You've got a centralized set, a cluster of servers well, that's that have point. already I figured out that, how to distribute quickly. But, but that's the thing. Everyone kind of trusts Visa and MasterCard now. Uh, most people absolutely. Trust, most people trust their bank. I mean, uh, that's the thing. I mean, most people trust the stock exchanges. It's like um, the, the third parties that are, that are controlling the data now are, are generally trusted. Yep, absolutely. And that's actually one of the arguments I would make for governance. That's one of the arguments I would make for us having the council is that um, with the council, with the 39 members that we have on our council, these are billion plus dollar companies um, who have their reputations at stake, who are trusted by people every single day. And we've got 39 of them confirming that your transaction has gone through. So while we have a certain amount of trust with Visa, how much more trust would you have with 39 Visas? who are all confirming your transaction. So it comes down to a, a level of confidence in the transaction. And it comes into a level of confidence in the finality of the transaction. And when you have multiple billion dollar plus companies across the world, and, and eventually everybody can become a node. But right now we're talking about the council. 
um, for the for probably the next year to year and a half or so, we're going to have the council running the network. Um, but for now, that's what we're talking about is that level of trust that you express with Visa and MasterCard times that times 39. And that's what we've got with this uh, with the council. And, and I think the I think the answer is we don't have to trust anyone as much as we do trust Visa and MasterCard. When we have 39 of those companies, we don't have to trust any one of them because the algorithm is trustworthy and the output is 100% deterministic. So we get a consensus that globally has a 100% agreed upon order against every other transaction in the network. So there's a, a few things going on there. Number one, if Visa and MasterCard are, pro- MasterCard are processing transactions, we're trusting that their timestamps are accurate. And if we were to merge that set of data, we have to trust that those server clocks are accurate. We have to trust that uh, they were accurate against each other when we want to sort them. So figuring things like that out, solving things like markets and exchanges and things like that do require a global ordering mechanism that is trustworthy. Yeah. People trust things right now because they're good enough and it's the best that we have and companies have built reputations. But what we're saying is with the Hashgraph algorithm, we don't have to trust the people anymore. We can trust the math. Okay, Ken, we'll have to leave it there. It's been great talking to you. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. That was Ken Anderson, the Chief Development Advocate for Hedera Hashgraph. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi. US tech giant IBM this week signed a $1 billion Australian partnership with the Australian government to provide blockchain-related technological support over the next five years. Targeting federal departments such as Home Affairs and Defence, IBM will also work to establish blockchain solutions for effective storage of citizen data. Earlier this week, the cryptocurrency Syscoin, notably famous for its decentralized marketplace, was subject to an interesting attack whereby attackers exploited vulnerabilities in manipulating the coin's total supply. Attackers then sent the falsely generated coins to the popular exchange Binance, whereby the price was pumped from mere cents to a price of 650 USD or 96 BTC each. Yes, you heard that right. Binance temporarily ceased trading and reset API keys, which were said to have helped facilitate the attack. South Korea has announced a new regulatory initiative for blockchain platforms. Another move towards the legitimization of the industry, this progressive step will see South Korea officially recognize cryptocurrency exchanges as legal entities and therefore financial institutions. A Bitcoin improvement proposal was made this week, this time to transaction signatures. With the intention of enhancing both security and scalability, Schnorr Signatures, which as the name implies, deploys a signature generated by a Schnorr Signature algorithm, are superior to the current model, both in security as well as by reducing storage and bandwidth up to 25%. San Francisco tech colossus Facebook has taken active steps towards blockchain this week after appointing one of its senior engineers, Evan Cheng, as the director of engineering at its recently launched blockchain division. More recently this week, Facebook has reportedly appointed Kevin Whale, former vice president of product at Instagram, to the same role within the blockchain division. The supposed decentralized exchange Bancor this week was hacked, resulting in a loss of US $23.5 million worth of user funds. A vulnerability present within a wallet used to upgrade smart contracts was exploited by attackers. 
taking their exchange offline in the wake of the attack. This incident, however, wasn't without its criticism, with industry leaders ironically questioning the centralized stance taken by Bancor, a self-proclaimed decentralized exchange. Now onto the market wrap-up this week, not reflective of some of the positive news surrounding the market, this week the market has seen yet another late week bleed. Despite some decent volume over the week, overall market cap is down US $15 billion or 6% to a current value of US $255 billion. Bitcoin's failure to break heavy resistance at around the US $6,800 mark during the latter part of the week triggered a fast-paced tumble of 6% over a 24-hour period to sub-US $6,400. With a rise in Bitcoin dominance up over 1% this week to 43.1%, alts have seen a harsher drawdown. For example, Sydney-based stablecoin Haven is down over 30% in this week alone. With sentiment feeling overly bearish, it's clear the market is struggling to maintain momentum as pessimism continues to overwhelm participants. Majors Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash and Ripple have, like the rest of the market, struggled to maintain last week's gains, down on average 7.98%. Reflective of the rise in BTC dominance, Bitcoin is down a relatively lower 2.5% this week. And that's all for the weekly wrap-up. I'm Sayyid Sadawi, and I'll see you next time. CryptoWatch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke for free.